we know that we are living in perilous times indeed. And so, Father, uh, make us to adapt a mental and heart attitude regarding uh, the gravity of what is occurring around us. Make each one of us to know that if we are believers, that we have a responsibility to be sober and to consider uh, the great devastation to come in the earth and the loss, dear Lord, of the majority of the world's population to the uh, deception of the evil one whereby so many will be deceived, but that you out of that will withhold a remnant. Mm -hmm. And we thank you, Lord. Mm -hmm. May we be counted among that number. May we rise, Lord God, by faith in the working of your spirit um, and, and according to the word of our testimony, whereby we have not loved our own lives, even unto death. We bless your name, Lord, for you deserve to be recognized as you are not now among all those that will one day remain. You deserve 100% recognition and participation from those who testify that they love you. And so work your work, Lord. I know that you and you alone will be the judge of those who have taken your word with a grain of salt and those who have hid your word in their hearts whereby they might not sin against you. And Lord, that it will not be the judgments of the mind of men regarding whether or not they have walked that path that you have set before them. They will not be the arbitrators of that, but you already know it and you will judge accordingly. I thank you, Lord, for your righteous judgment. I thank you don't make any mistakes. Mm -hmm. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us instruction regarding the age in which we live. And now may we continue to see the effects of what you have prophesied will come 
may we recognize it and mm -hmm. the the cloak of darkness yes, that is encompassing the earth mm -hmm. that we will recognize it and yet that we ourselves will remain lights in the midst of this darkness mm -hmm. strengthen those things that remain dear lord in us that we might not be ashamed in the day of his coming yes Father. these things we pray lord in jesus name amen amen i have in front of me I have in front of me a headline from CBN News. It's a recent headline. And here what it says. Now, what I intend to do today, I intend to give you an idea of some shocking things that are occurring among men in the earth. Then I intend to give you information regarding the shocking things that are occurring within the church, the professing church of Jesus Christ. Then I intend to go to the scripture and see what God has to say about it. And so there's three parts to this plan and so simple headlines this one from cbn news the headline unbelievably evil netherlands legalizes euthanasia for terminally sick people under 12 years of age The Netherlands is about to expand its euthanasia law to allow children ages 1 to 12 to be killed by doctors. Children are already there under the age of 12 are put in artificial comas and dehydrated until they die. This again from the Netherlands, but this is, I can tell you that what is being said in this headline from what's called the, the Gatestone Institute is that now in the Netherlands, if one mentions uh, Muslim uh, religion in any kind of negative light, it is a felony. And those people will be prosecuted under the law. I can tell you that for some time that has been a law in Canada uh, and that free speech and of course the point is and all of us have seen just over the last week 
the movement of the forces of darkness to destroy free speech in this country. If you haven't been following that, you will, you, you, if you studied it, you will find that it is coming from big tech, uh, social, uh, what do we call it? Media. Social media, Facebook and Twitter and even Google that those things that those big tech organizations believe is out of line and that will always be conservative thought because they will not censor liberal thought but any kind of conservative thought for example in this case the situation with the Biden crime family uh, is not to be disseminated through those platforms and the mass or commercial media, uh, the big networks in the United States will not cover that story, even though it is a story that uh, has great factual underpinnings. Uh, and that is withheld. Uh, all of these are, are dire events that are a demonstration of the preparation that is being made in the world to, to destroy the voice of those who would seek right and those who would seek justice and to expose uh, evil that uh, we are moving quickly, quicker than I ever would have thought. We are moving quickly towards a world where the people will only be exposed to the propaganda that the state desires that they uh, take as facts. What I'm going to read now from the Federalists is a comment from Chris Como. And he is, uh, you know, from that line of Mario Como, uh, prior governor of New York, Andrew Como, who is the governor, and um, Chris Como, who is the Fredo of the group. If you watched Godfather, you know who Fredo is. And here's what Chris Como recently said. Get in the closet, serious Christians. Your kind aren't welcome in public life. 
the left believes Christians should be free to worship whatever sky fairies they want, providing it is a part-time commitment behind closed doors. And so we are moving towards a time when they will uh, claim that there is freedom of religion. Yes, freedom of religion, but you can't talk about it in public. And it's okay to meet you believers looking towards your fairy tales as long as you do it where it's out of sight. New York Governor Como recently said, we are now having issues in the Orthodox Jewish community in New York, where because of their religious practices, we're seeing a spread, talking about the COVID. How many of you people are familiar with a guy by the name of John Piper? He's a pastor. I've followed him for 15 years to some degree. I always had, uh, as I watched him, a, a, a feeling that there was something amiss there. John Piper is now set, has now come out and this article, he states, this article is probably as close as you will get to an answer on how I will vote in the incoming presidential election, John Piper. And in that article, <clears throat> he tells us that we should vote for a man that we feel like um, fits our idea of a tolerant, uh, un, uh, unassuming, uh, Casper Milktoast kind of a, of a president who doesn't stir the pot, who doesn't uh, demonstrate a lifestyle that violates people like John Piper's uh, feeling of what is the character of a man. And as he does that, he tells us that we should not pay attention to the fact that the one candidate whom Piper believes does not have a character equal to the other one, that that candidate, whether or not he supports the, the, uh, um, the, the right to life for the babies, the 44 million babies that we have murdered in this country over the years, he doesn't feel that that is a, is, uh, should be a flashpoint 
whereby we would want a man like Trump. Uh, he uh, is not uh, interested in the fact that Trump is the only man out there who's really going to resist the Chinese takeover of the United States. And uh, that Trump will put people on the Supreme Court that uh, will read the law as it is and apply their intellect to making choices about issues that aren't simply emotional choices, but are choices according to the Constitution. And Piper is not interested in those things. He doesn't like Trump because he's abrasive. He doesn't like Trump because he thinks he's not a gentleman. He doesn't like Trump because he doesn't like Trump's lifestyle. And therefore, he is willing to brush aside the idea of pro, uh, freedom of choice for women who would abort their children. He brushes aside the elements of free speech, censorship, all of the rest that is coming with the next administration if Trump doesn't persevere. And so what I have read is just a very small smattering of things that are being said and things that are being done in the world in which we live. Things 10 years ago that I thought I'd never see. Now what I'd like to do is I'm going to give you some data. Uh, the first thing is data about what is happening in the world. The next piece of data I want to give you is about what is happening in the church. And I will say to you that we can spend all of our time Uh, being upset about those things that I just talked about and saying how bad they are and how terrible and that this world is waxing worse and worse, which God told us it would, and being so concerned and wanting something to occur to change what is happening, which means we're going to look towards a man are a uh, some kind of a uh, philosophical approach to government just based on the fact that we think we must have change because things are going down the drain. And here's what I want to say to you. Don't get caught up and make it your life's ambition to fight against the things that are happening in the world. Number one, they're gonna happen. It's coming. 
and how you're going to respond to it in regard to your own personal life, whether or not when you may have to decide whether you're going to take a vaccination that uh, also has uh, nanobots in it, whereby uh, many things can be read simply by an app on a telephone by laying it up against your skin, uh, you're gonna to have to make personal decisions about what you're gonna do about that. And those decisions for those of us that are older will be easier than the decisions that are gonna to have to be made for those who are younger. But don't spend all of your mental energy and are calling out to God that this is all going to go away. It's not going away. And it's not here, I say principally, because men are, men are evil. It is here, and we are staring it in the face right now, because the church has lost its capacity to put light and shine light upon the darknesses in this earth. It is the fault of the church, and it is the fault of the those who are the leaders in the body of Christ around the world that we have allowed step by step for the person of Christ to live in the church of Jesus Christ. And so in in the letter to the Laodiceans, where do you find Christ? You find him outside of the church, knocking on the door and saying, let me in. And so what we are, what we should be concerned about and what we should be considering regarding our own lives about what is wrong with the church is going to require that Christians wake up, begin to make themselves aware of what is happening and making sure that they are not simply agreeing or going along with that which is happening, which is the least path of resistance. And just before I go into that, I'm going to have Alice play us a song that Mark mm -hmm. has already put together. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measures, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of sin. Oh, 
turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to from the Washington Post. According to research, 52% of evangelicals, this is, these are people, you know, in the Protestant churches, uh, minus the Pentecostals, the Pentecostals are put in another group, the evangelicals, 52% of them now say they do not believe these are religious people. They do not believe in objective moral truth or that the Bible is inerrant and trustworthy in all of its content. 75% believe that people are basically good instead of basically sinful. 43% believe Jesus sinned during his time on earth. 58% believe the Holy Spirit is merely a symbol rather than a person. And a majority of respondents do not believe in the exclusivity of the Christian faith. In other words, it doesn't matter as long as you believe something. Uh, whether you're a Hindu or a Buddhist or, or a Mormon, or it does, doesn't matter. 
Other findings from the survey include that 44% of evangelicals believe the Bible's teaching on abortion are ambiguous. 40% do not believe human life is sacred. 34% do not believe marriage is between one man and one woman. And 43% do not think that God has a unified purpose for all people. Under the banner of being woke, the church is now being deformed rather than reformed. 2,000 years of ecclesial teaching is now being dumbed down, redefined, and those charged to be the guardians of orthodoxy now appear to be the very ones who have unlocked the door to rampant heresy. Today's evangelical leaders are no longer known for imparting the good news of evangelization, but rather for being hell-bent on selling out the gospel and its creeds for the sake of the thin gruel of political popularity and culturally Vogue presentation. I'm just moving on, skipping some. This is from the Arizona Christian University-based Cultural Research Center study. It's entitled, U.S. Christians Increasingly Departing from Core Truths of Christian Worldview Survey Finds, the Christian Post. 68% who embrace the notion of, of identity as Christians, including 56% of self-described evangelicals and 62% of those who identify as Pentecostals, 67% of mainline Protestants, and 77% of Catholics uh, hold to the idea that having some kind of faith is more important than the particular faith which someone holds. Again, you're okay, I'm okay. Slightly over half of Christian respondents said they believe someone can attain salvation by being or doing good a figure that includes 46% of Pentecostals, 44% of mainline Protestants, 41% of evangelicals, and 70% of Catholics. In addition to the viewpoint that eternal salvation can be aimed, can be earned, survey results show that 58% of Americans believe that no absolute moral truth exists, and that the basis of truth are factors, are sources other than God. 
77% said that right and wrong is determined by factors other than the Bible. 59% said that the Bible is not God's authoritative word, and 69% said people are basically good. If you look at some of the dominant elements in the American mind and heart today, as illuminated by the inventory, most people, I found this very telling regarding seeker-friendly, most people believe that the purpose of life is feeling good about yourself. Most people contend that all faiths are of equal value, that entry into God's eternal presence is determined by one's personal means of choice that there are no absolutes to guide or grow us morally. That's a 2020 survey. This is from a survey of Christian college students by Bing, 2020. October, actually. What percentage of college, college students are leaving their faith? Campus renewal divulged that roughly 70% of Christian college students going off to college end up leaving their faith during the first year on campus. And one group is joining forces with another of faith-based ministries to make sure that no more freshmen will turn away from their Christian beliefs. Good luck. The number of college students with no religious affiliation has tripled in the last 30 years. 10% in 1986 to 31% in 2016. You can ima imagine what it is today. Now, this is happening. The world is what it is becoming because the church has failed in its purpose to be the light or lights in the world. And I'll just make one slight comment. That scripture you read in Matthew early on, it says, you are the light of the world. That was for Israel. Israel as a collective body was to be a light in the world. But later on, the apostles tell us that it isn't the collective body, it is the individuals who are lights in the world. And so what you find in the scripture is that Israel 
is generally treated collective as if it were one person, whereas the church and the body of Christ is made of many members, you see, and each member must be a light in the world and a light in the body for the church to become that which glorifies Almighty God. I want to refer you to the book of Acts. Where did all this begin? Did it begin just after 1950? You know, between 1700 and 1950, there was a period of time that many scholars call, particularly in America and some, to some degree around the world, the Great Awakening. Now, the Great Awakening is over. This is one thing I have been saying to you for a number of years that everything began to go downhill after 1950. What is happening in the world today has been happening. The forces of evil to uh, block the works of the church of Jesus Christ filled with the spirit, the gates of hell have continually come up against the church. Unfortunately, as it has ebbed and flowed over these last 2000 years, what we are finding now is that which is described by the apostles in the New Testament as what will be the characteristic or defining characteristics of the church in the time just before the Antichrist is presented. And that is characterized by Christ and by the apostles in particularly in two very pointed passages. One is that as in the days of Noah, shall it be at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, as in the days of Sodom, so it shall be at the time of his appearing. And so if we understand what Christ, or pardon me, what Christ was referring to, the days of Noah had to do with the thinking of the majority of the earth's population in that day. I can only guess it was several million. That's what some uh, 
some individuals have estimated the population of the earth in those days was. And when describing those people, they were described as every imagination of their heart being evil continually. Now, my friends, I want you to consider that evil may not be what you normally jump to when you hear the word. Let me ask you this question. Is it evil? Is it evil not to love the Lord Jesus Christ with that love that ought to be in the life of every Christian? Is then, is it evil that it's not there? Some would say, well, it's not really evil. It's just kind of neutral. No, that's evil. To find one satisfaction in this earth through those things that the earth can provide. Now, most of us in this little body, I guess I would say are middle-class people. 150 years ago, if you were a middle-class person, you likely lived on a farm with, uh, you know, either a log cabin house or a house that you built with your own hands, with fields that you tilled with, uh, you know, a mule, uh, and you were glad every year, if you had a good enough harvest, you might sell a little of it, and then you might have enough to eat to get you through the winter. And that was what a middle-class person was. But that's not what it is today, particularly in America. A middle-class person in this country has often disposable income after they have bought the house of their dreams, then they begin to buy the toys of their dreams. Then they begin to look forward to expensive vacations. Then they heap upon themselves only those things that will distract them from their true purpose in the earth which is to love God and enjoy him forever. And they are distracted, but yet they remain, according to their own thinking, religious, and that their little paltry offering of some word for God on an occasion is considered to be righteousness on their part. What happens, my friends, when the whole church comes to misunderstand and redefine what is the expectation of God for each of his people 
And what is the working and the product of the Holy Ghost working in their life to result in? And if we make a bad, if we come to a evil conclusion about what God has called us to and what God requires, then by simply ignoring those things, we will live lives that the world will not call evil but God will call them evil. And that is why Peter says, judgment must first begin at the house of God. And the things that we are seeing were prophesied to start at the very beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. And they have continued and now are coming to the place where the majority of Christendom has no idea what righteousness is, does not understand the basic truths that the scripture teaches us regarding what constitutes an acceptable relationship with God and we have turned to our own devices and our own imaginations, and such people will live out their lives in the midst of eternity. And when they look back at it at some point, it will seem as a matter of something to be remembered as that which is absolutely without any value at all. How they lived, what they enjoyed, how they spent their time, what they did with their money, what they taught their children. And they'll look back at it and say, gee, it was just such a short time. Because everything they did as they lived in this earth, did not go towards glorifying God, which was their only purpose for living. But then it will be too late. This is our time. This is when we have opportunity to turn away from ourselves, to give up our lives, and to say, Lord God, whether it's sooner or later, it's never too late to do this. Mm -hmm. That's right. Giving up their lives and saying, Lord, I lay down my life. You take it. You use it. Because it is a living sacrifice for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what will be the regret? for those who ought to have known better. And yet their minds were continually focused on those things that did not glorify God. And because they do not, they 
are not neutral. They are evil. And so what did Paul say? This is Acts chapter 20, starting with, starting with uh, verse 30, uh, 26, Acts 20, 26. Wherefore, Paul says, now, Here's the scene. Paul has ministered in the city of Ephesus, which one of the one of the greater cities in the Roman Empire. He had ministered there for several years. And he had taught the truth. And we know that many people came to Christ and under the teaching of the apostle, they were considered and they were lifted up and had a light to shine individually in the world as being those who were lovers of Jesus Christ. That's how they were identified, as being lovers of Jesus Christ. Not lovers of money, not lovers of pleasure, not having a form of godliness, but denying the power of it, not bringing to themselves teachers so that they could have their itching ears tickled to hear a seeker-friendly gospel, but they were the real deal. And now Paul is done in this passage in Acts 20. He is ready to leave that body, and he says to them, you will see me no more. Mm -hmm. And so in verse 26, he, sa he says, wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. You want to know what that means? You go to Ezekiel chapter 3, verse uh, pardon me, chapter 3, verse 20, and you will find God telling Ezekiel that he is to be out there proclaiming the truth of the relationship that God meant Israel to have, and that judgment was coming to them because they failed to live up to that. And God tells Ezekiel, if you keep your mouth shut about it, I'm going to require at your hand the blood of all the people that you did not speak the truth to. But if you do speak the truth and they still don't believe God, then I will not require their blood at your hand. And that's what Paul is saying here. I have spoke the truth. I have given you, according to verse 27, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Not just part of it. You know, not just like some churches whose basic message is, 
God loves you, and because he loves you, anything, any license that you want to take to live your life in a way that pleases you so that you will be happy is okay. That's a seeker-friendly document. God loves you, and you're okay, and I'm okay. But Paul says, I haven't shunned to declare to you the counsel, all the counsel. That is, what did the Holy Spirit come to say? He came to reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And we don't find that. In, the, in, in a great percentage of Christendom today. And we find it less and less. And if you get a teacher or a preacher who moves into one of those places that, that are moving towards simply building a large congregation so that the people who lead it can feel like kings and princes and like successful men in the world. And that is the primary motivation. Mm -hmm. You go in there and try to speak the truth and, and, and speak the whole counsel of God and see what happens. Verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost. You know, we have men teaching in the church today because men have laid their hands on them and said that we deem that you are worthy to teach. But the real teachers of God are those who are called and empowered by the Holy Ghost, not by other men. And to the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God. I tell you, the church of God today is starving for lack of teaching. Jesus Christ said the same thing to the Jews. He said, my people perish because of lack of knowledge. I am, I still am amazed at when I approach most church-going professors of Jesus Christ, they do not know, in many cases, even the most simple childish truths, or truths that can be understood by even little children, they don't understand those. But yet they call themselves by the name of Christ. And I'm not the one in the end who's going to decide if they are. But Christ says, I will decide. 
And he's the one that said, narrow is the way and straight is the gate and that few shall be that found it, find it. Now, how many were taken out of the world in the days of Noah? Millions died and eight people were saved. How many men and women were taken out of Sodom at the day of its destruction? One family. the offspring and the wife of Lot. And even the wife of Lot did not deserve to be taken out. For she turned and looked back. Christ said, if any man puts his plow, his shoulder to the plow and looks back, he said, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. I have certainly seen a number of Christians just simply walk it back one step at a time and they walk it back and they don't know that they have dishonored God and grieved the Holy Ghost and that judgment begins first right there where they are. For Paul says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God for which he hath purchased with his own blood. God did his part. He gave his son he provided the Holy Spirit. He poured out that spirit by grace over all of the world. He will withhold from everyone who wants to know him intimately, no good thing. He opens himself and says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest but you will not, as Christ spoke to Jerusalem, you wouldn't come. And so, verse 29, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, now, I want, to, I want you to see two ways it's going to happen. One, there are going to be coming in from the outside those that Paul calls grievous wolves. And they're going to come in. You read the book of Galatians, you will find that what happened to the region of Galatia was that the grievous wolves came in as Judaizers from the religious places like Jerusalem. And they came in and began to do great damage to the believers in Galatia. Paul had to stand against it. 
They even had a council about it. Mm. Secondly, I want you to notice in verse 30, also of your own selves. So rising up out of that church that at one time stood firm for the tenets of the uh, of the goodness of God working in men's hearts by the Holy Ghost, that out of those churches, Satan would bring men into prominence out of the church, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not just Paul's sermon at the time of his leaving. According to his own word, he had been driving home this truth from the very beginning, mm -hmm. and he said it for three years. Mm -hmm. If you want to know what happened to this church, you just go to chapter 2 of Revelation, and you will find out that here we are in 60 AD when Paul is, is uh, writing this. Uh, actually, I think it was Luke who is writing this account of what Paul said to the Ephesian believers, it was only a little over 30 years later that they were described as having lost their first love. Yeah. I want to read you, and you don't want me to read you all the passages that say basically what I just said, because they are everywhere in Scripture. This Bible right now is loaded with bookmarks that have to do with this subject. But I would like to take you, well, let me first take you to the book of Jude. And in the book of Jude, I read this. That's only one chapter. So in verse three of the one chapter of Jude, I read these words. Beloved, <clears throat> when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Mm -hmm. Now, what is the theology and the truth that we are to bring to members of the church today? That which the latest theologian has taught us that which Rick Warren has proclaimed to be the truth, that which um, the fellow in Atlanta 
Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley has proclaimed to be the truth, how we should unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament and then water down every hard truth that is not seeker-friendly in the new. These are false teachers. Let it be said, here they are spoken of in the book of Jude. Mm -hmm. But we... Be, must be contenders for the faith. Well, my friends, to be contenders for the faith means you've got to know something. Got to know what the faith is. You can't contend for the faith unless you know what the faith is all about. And that's why Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, I am teaching you so that you can teach others. And when I meet with disciples, I tell them, I am teaching you, and my hope is that you're, you're going to teach others. And I teach them in such a way and make comment. I say, now, one day you're going to be teaching this truth, and here's what you've got to understand about it, because I want them to teach. I want the church to be propagated. I'm not going to be here much longer. Dear God, may there be some left behind because of my teaching. Because in my opinion, for all my conscience says to me, I have taught the whole counsel of God, not just that which was easy to hear, but that which is hard to hear. And so Jude says, It is needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. That means this is a battle. That means you have to be really, really uh, sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can teach it, contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. It is not the new theology. It is the old theology that is given to us here in the word of God. There is nothing new today that you need, but what has already been written. And these who take this word and rip it into shreds and make it to say something that it does not say the judgment of God rests on them. Verse four, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. That means judgment. That means damnation. All of those come from the same word. Ungodly men, they... It should say ungodly men who in another place, Paul said, present themselves to the body of Christ as if they were angels of light. Mm -hmm. And not to be surprised because that's how Satan presents himself to the world as an angel of light and the world will follow him. But these men present themselves, and they draw to themselves great crowds because they have those who have come 
with the itching ears, concerned only about a form of godliness and having their own egos inflated and basically taught that the only problem that they really need some work on is the fact that they need to build up their self-esteem. And instead of looking at themselves as the unworthy and sinful men that they are, they are to look upon themselves as valuable to God, <laughs> having forgot about all of the scriptures mm -hmm. that taints the depravity of men. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were for of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into license. You understand that? Turning the grace. That's exactly what Paul was talking about in Romans 5, just before he got to that glorious passage in chapter 6 of Romans, when he said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But that is the teaching. They've turned the grace of God into license whereby anything goes. Any kind of immorality is not to be judged in our modern and postmodern churches, but is to be not condemned, but applauded. That people have in themselves found and discovered their own goodness in their darkness. And denying the only Lord God, not necessarily with their lips, they, de they deny him with their works. and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, my friends, this is a message that ought to take double this time, but I want to say just one more thing. What should the Christians who still have a conscience, what should the Christians who truly know and have some, some level of love for the truth, what should they be doing? So I just refer you to the book of Revelation chapter four, because what chapter four tells us about is what will be the state of the church just before Christ comes. And the state of the church will be that of what we see in Laodicea. And this is so perfectly described. This describes the modern church except for the few holdouts that exist.
You know, I listened to Andy Wood yesterday. I listened uh, the day before to John Holler. There, there are some out there, but they are few and far in between. And I know that there are some who are still holding the torch of light. But here in Revelation chapter 4, I read chapter three. chapter three, I'm sorry. In chapter three, starting with verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write these things, the amen, faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now who is speaking here? It's not John, it's Christ. This is what Christ has to say about overall what is the situation in the church or in Christendom in the day in which we are living. I have no doubt about this. Write this. These things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. You think you're going to get out from under his knowing it? No. I know thy works. One day you might be very sorrowful that you didn't pay attention. It'll be too late. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, that's having a form of godliness, but not knowing the power of it. And neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich. And, and does this not describe principally the growing and vibrant gatherings of empty-headed believers uh, within the postmodern church movement? and other places, they say I am rich and increased with goods. I tell you, this country has been destroyed according to her own prosperity. Because that is the way. What did Christ say? It's easier for an, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And our middle class is rich mm -hmm. according to Bible standards. Yes. We are filthy rich. And it has led so many away to seek pleasure rather than the life mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the heart of God. Mm -hmm. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white remnant that thou mayest be clothed that the shame of thy nakedness does not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou may see. 
as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And may God do that to those of us who are not absolutely dead. Mm -hmm. So there are those out there that are just treading water and ready to sink. Mm -hmm. And he says, Mm -hmm. repent. Repent. I am not any longer called to be calling lost people to repentance. If the chance is there, I'll do it. But my message is to the church of Jesus Christ. And the calling from God is to repent. Behold, he says, I stand at the door and knock. Mm-hmm. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. What's the final thing to say to the church today? To him that overcometh, rather than being defeated, rather than being overcome by the gates of hell that we should have broken down to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne does that not indicate that to those who do not overcome they will not sit with him he that has an ear Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. My friend, what is wrong with the world? Where we are headed is not the fact that Satan has had free reign in this world. The fall of the world where we will be ready for the man of sin The fault lies at the door of the church. And Christ is saying to us, Mm -hmm. repent, change your mind, wake up, and follow after Christ with your whole heart, Mm -hmm. and abandon those lusts of the flesh and of the eyes and the pride of life and all the amusements that this world will provide for those who are wealthy, able to pay. Let's pray together. Father, this, in short, is the message that you laid on my heart today. We, Lord, are dependent that you will have mercy on us. And in your mercy, you would grant, you would call and grant repentance to those who have fallen out of the way, those who consider their own lives rather than the death of the cross, whereby 
we identify with Jesus Christ by faith. Bring these back into the full fellowship of the truth that they might not be lost. And glorify yourself even in these last days. For we know there will be a remnant of the faithful. And may each who hears my voice be counted among that number. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.